Last week we stepped away from our study in 1 John briefly to address the topic of prayer, and we're not coming back to 1 John yet today. Last time we looked at a passage in Isaiah 41.10. We're going to be in the New Testament this morning, but last week we looked at Isaiah 41.10, and that really gave us a a great hope, a great encouragement that because of what we know about God, based on what we know about God and based on His promises, we can rest on those promises and we can rest on His commands and we can pray and our prayers based on those promises of God, those help defeat fear, don't they? When we pray based on the promises of God, those prayers defeat fear. God tells His children, as we noted last time in Isaiah 41.10, God says to us, because I am with you and because I am your God and because I will strengthen you and because I will help you, because I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't look about with anxiety, right? Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Fear not and do not be anxious, right? Because of these things that we know about God. And it is with that reminder and those promises and the command of God to not fear or be anxious that I want to turn you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. Go with me, would you please? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11 this morning. Remember those promises from Isaiah 41.10, because I am with you, because I'm your God, because I'll strengthen you, because I'll help you, because I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. And then let's look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and go to verses 8 through 11. Let's look at them together. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivers us. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Father, this morning we come before You and we open Your Word before us. And we have these precious promises ringing in our ears from Isaiah. And we have these precious commands to not fear or be anxious to not be looking around with anxiety about the things that are going around us in the world. And Lord, it is often a tumultuous time when we watch the news. And so Lord, I pray that You would help us to get our eyes, get our heads, get our hearts out of the news and get it into Your Word this morning and come back to Your promises and come back to Your truths and and be blessed and encouraged because of the truths that we see here lived out in the lives of believers that we have on display for us in Your Word. Lord, help us to take these these teachings from Your Word this morning to heart and help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My purpose this morning is to challenge and encourage and spur you on to prayer. 
We began doing that last week. I'm going to do it again today. I want you to be a people who pray. I want to be a church that prays. We must be a church that prays if we desire to be a church that brings great glory to God because that is how God intends to use us. He intends for us to pray and He intends to work through the prayers of His people. And like our brother Dave said, if we fail to draw near to God, if we fail to draw close to Him, He will not draw us any closer to Him than we desire to be. Oh, how desperately we must realize how desperate it is for the church today and how desperate a time it is for us to realize the importance of prayer and the privilege of prayer and to not take those things lightly. And so my purpose this morning is to challenge and encourage and to spur you on to prayer. But not that you would only pray and be more faithful in your private praying at home necessarily, And that is important, and you will hear me encourage you and challenge you to do that at times. But I want to challenge you in our coming together for prayer. It is of of vital importance that we as a body of believers come together for corporate prayer, that we not neglect this important privilege. We see it again and again in the New Testament, the early church. What did they do? They gathered together, and one of the things that they did was pray, and they did quite a bit of that. And we must be a church that prays together. We must be a church of collectively of a body of believers who on their own pray in their own quiet times and pray with their families, but we must also be a church that comes together for prayer. And your coming together for prayer is, is a step of obedience to God that we would be a church that gathers for this important privilege of prayer is a step of obedience for us. And coming together for times of prayer, such as the one we had to close our day of prayer yesterday, those are important. We had a very special day yesterday. One of our purposes for our season of prayer yesterday was we devoted, of course, we devoted 12 hours to prayer. Not that we were all here praying for 12 hours, but we gave 20-minute blocks of time that individuals came and prayed here, pray for this work and pray for God's work in and through us. And then at the end of the day, we collectively, we came together as a body of believers and prayed to to close out our day. And one of the purposes for our season of prayer yesterday was to ignite in you a passion and a burden for joining together in times of corporate prayer. You realize we can pray together without being together, but we also need to come together to pray together at times in corporate prayer. Those times are important. And times such as our Wednesday evening praise and prayer service that we have each week. Those are important times for this ministry. Those aren't just, those aren't just little blips on the radar in the middle of the week between Sundays, you know. That Wednesday evening time of praise and prayer from 7 to 8 p.m. is more than just a time for us to get together to be encouraged in the middle of the week while we're waiting for Sunday to come. That's an important time for us as a church when we pray. As we unify ourselves as the church, remember we are the body of Christ. But the body cannot be disconnected from the head and survive. We must be connected to Christ. And we connect to Christ through His Word and through prayer. And so it is very important that we come together and pray. Our prayer times together are a connecting of ourselves to the head. The body of Christ connecting to the head, Christ, as we pray. And it is so vital for us to come together in prayer as a church united together, praying with our hope in God. That's why we give much time in our services on Sunday to praying together. So critical that we do that. Well, as I challenged and I encourage you this morning to be faithful 
devoted to praying together, I want you to see why we put our hope in God. I want to give you some reasons for hope, some reasons for why we come together and we pray as a church and why we can give our give ourselves to prayer and then trust in God to answer those prayers because there is great hope that we have before us. And I want you to see it in a passage together this morning. Look again at 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. What we find in 2 Corinthians 1 and in verses 8 through 10 specifically is a vivid illustration of Paul living out what we learned last Sunday. Note Note his reasons for hope in God. I want you to just note this morning the reasons that Paul had to hope in God, and and uh, by extension, these are our reasons to hope in God too, okay? But I want you to note together Paul's reasons for hope, and then these apply to our prayer lives and our prayer life as a church. In verse 8, he points to this severe affliction. Look at it. That they had endured so serious that they thought that they'd lose their lives, Right? But I want you to note what he says next in verse 9. In verse 8 he said, For for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, about the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Now look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But he says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Hope number one. Hope number one. God will at times make us rely on Him. And, and you say, well, that, that's hope? Thanks a lot. He'll make us rely on Him? I say that is hope. Because sometimes He will make us rely on Him when we wouldn't necessarily depend upon Him. Hope number one, God will at times make us rely on Him. God may allow trials, here's how we see this, God may allow trials into our lives at times not to destroy us. Don't even think that way. God is not trying to destroy us, but to to make us rely on Him. To get our attention, to make us depend on Him. Paul says that God had a purpose in allowing this affliction and trial, and that was to make them trust not on themselves, right? He doesn't say it wasn't so we wouldn't depend on ourselves, but he does say it so it was we would depend on God. It's not so that they would be fearful of God, but that they would welcome His his role in their lives and follow Him obediently and submit themselves to His authority over them. So Paul says that God had a purpose in allowing that affliction and trial. And that was to make them trust not on themselves, but on God. And how would they possibly rely on God in this affliction that was so severe that they thought they'd been served a death sentence? You know, what's God going to do for me now? They might kill me. Do you see the last phrase there in verse 9? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Then look at the last phrase. Who raises the dead? You see Paul's hope? (laughs) Paul says, God's purpose in this affliction was to make us depend on God, not ourselves. And by the way, should I lose my life? Should we lose our lives? We can depend on God because, don't ever forget it, God raises the dead. Paul was living Isaiah 41.10, right? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Paul says, I have a God who raises the dead. So if they kill me, 
So what? Paul says, yes, we thought we were toast. Right? We thought we were going to be very dead. You know, but that's okay. That was actually a good thing. That's strange, isn't it? We go, how could you say that, Paul? They could take your life. It could be painful. But he said, you know, that's a good thing that they could have done that. That's a good thing. Because he says, we're learning to trust in God because even if this trial is so severe that we lose our lives, God raises the dead. And so this trial was actually a really good thing in getting us to trust God and depend on God. So hope number one, God will at times make us rely on Him. Hope number two, we've already talked about it, God raises the dead, right? Hope number two, God raises the dead. Paul trusted in and hoped in God because he knew that if God allowed him to die, death would be better than life. Now, how so, right? Now, we sang about it. We hope for and we sing about and we praise God for there, there is a day we know that we'll live for all of eternity in heaven with God, right? And so we look forward to a day, but sometimes we fear death, don't we? And we forget about an eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Paul was thinking about that eternity. And he knew that God raises the dead. He knew that followers of Christ are raised to eternal life. Those who have confessed their sin and believed in Jesus Christ will be raised after death to eternal life with God. And so Paul trusted in and hoped in God because he knew that if God allowed them to die, both all of those who were with him, death would be better than life for them. Paul says we trust in God, not in our own power to spare ourselves from harm, you know that you can't spare yourself from harm. You might be able to spare yourself some, from some harm. I, my kids like uh, to get on 10-speed uh, bicycles and ride down the road and take a little GPS in their pocket and then come home and tell me how fast they were going without a helmet. That was my first impression. Dad, I went 40 miles an hour. It's like, where was your helmet, boy? That was my first response. Not, wow. You know, It's like, wow, it's good. You're going to buy a helmet. We can do something to protect ourselves, right? We can do something to protect our kids from harm, but that doesn't mean that we can keep ourselves from all harm, does it? Absolutely not. We can do so much. We need to trust in God. We need to trust in God because God is the one who raises the dead. Even if we die, we have an eternal home in heaven, right? God raises the dead. Death, in that sense, is far better than life. And when was the last time you recognized that the trials that God allows into your life were intended to help you let go of the temporal earthly things that you cling to? When was the last time you thought about, you know, this earthly trial, I think God is allowing into my life so that I'll let go of these earthly junk and think about the heavenly gold, right? And think about the heavenly things that I can set my mind on. Help me stop clinging to the things of this earth that defeat me and keep me distracted from the things that God wants me to do. Paul saw it. He says these things are making us depend on God. We think trials are bad, but they are good if... Trials are good if we'll use them to remind us to completely depend on God. That's a good thing. God's desire for us as a church and as His children is that we trust in Him and we depend upon Him and we stay connected to Him at all times. 
He wants us to remember that we are at all times dependent on Him. Paul had learned that. And he's not, he doesn't want us to, to cower on beneath Him. He wants us to live strong and victorious, knowing that no matter what, God's in control. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. He points to this. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope. I think that's a great title. That's the title of the message now. There it is. On Him we have set our hope. Right? That ought to be our, that ought to, that ought to be our cry of faith. On Him we have set our hope. And then the end of verse 10, that He will deliver us again. Paul says he delivered us from that deadly peril. Yeah, we feared of death. We thought we were going to be really, really dead. But God delivered us from that. That was a deadly peril, but he delivered us and he will deliver us. And so he says, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. First he says that the trial that God allowed to make them depend on him, and they could and did because if they had been killed, God raises the dead So hope number two is that God raises the dead, right? And that is a great hope for us who believe in Jesus Christ. But here is verse 10. Here in verse 10, he goes on to say that God delivered them from this deadly peril and that God gave them great hope. Not only that God had rescued them from this peril, but that God must have something more for them. He says, God rescued us from this, so there must be something else that God wants us to accomplish. And so, he would trust in God. And so they would put their hope in God, that God would deliver them even again. Hope number three, God has a purpose for us to fulfill. Paul saw it. God rescued us from this certain death. We thought for sure we were going to be dead. But God rescued us from this, and so we're confident that he'll rescue us again. We think he's got something else for us. That's our hope. Hope number three, God has a purpose for us to fulfill. And if God keeps us here for this time, and God keeps us in this place, He has a purpose for us being here that He wants us to accomplish for His glory. And Paul hopes in God because he realizes that God just might have something more for him to do. Do you see how Paul had learned to trust in God and not not on the things in this world? Not on his earthly, temporal things. Not on his own strength. Remember, he's not, he's not depending upon his own strength to rescue himself from what he thought was a certain death. He's not relying on his own wisdom to scheme his way out of it. Right? His hope is in the God who raises the dead and rescues from harm. And the God who raises the dead and rescues from harm has a purpose for us to fulfill. And trials will help break our hold, our strong grip on the world, and help us to learn not to trust in our own wisdom and strength. God will at times allow us to go through trials to to test us, to see if we'll trust in Him. And then there are other times He'll allow us to go through trials to make us trust in Him, to make us depend upon Him. And when we come to the point where we realize that the only answer is to trust God, we come back to God's promises, right? The only answer, sometimes we need to hit the bottom to find out, you know, there's no answer down here at the bottom. And so I have to depend upon God. 
And I have to go back to His promises. And God says once again, fear not, right? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the Lord will often bring us to situations that are so far removed from our own capabilities to solve them that we are weaned from our own tendency to cling to this world's answers and this world's schemes and this world's doings and this world's wisdom so that we'll let go of that rubbish and so that we will learn that we have to trust in Him and that we have to depend on Him. Trials and difficulties will help us loosen our grip on our own dependency on worldly ways and will help loosen our grip on those worldly things that actually slow us down when it comes to living for Christ and will move us toward putting our trust in God and move us toward the strength that He promises to give us to endure those same trials. God allows trials and allows difficulties to help us get our eyes off of ourselves and get them off of the worldly entrapments that surround us and helps us hope in the things of God. He helps us get our eyes off of the earthly and get them on the heavenly. Now Paul recognized that as he wrote this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Somebody said, examine Paul's head. There's something wrong with him. Rejoicing in sufferings? More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. God wants us to learn to put our trust on Him, and He wants us to learn to depend on Him and to endure So at times, He does allow us to suffer for our good. And He keeps us here so that we will learn to endure and fulfill His God-honoring purposes for us. So hope number three is that God has a purpose for us to fulfill. Hey, as long as you exist on, on planet Earth, God has a purpose for you to fulfill for His glory. Note, too, that Paul recognized God's tender mercies in sparing them what they thought was certain death, which points to hope number four. Hope number four is this. God's mercies are real and sure. God's mercies are very real and very sure. God may allow trials, but His mercies are real and sure. Now, we we can learn from Paul that at times we are also allowed trials so that we can experience the tender mercies of God. Have you ever realized that? Sometimes you go through a trial, and what God really wants is not, not to make you suffer so much as so that you can experience His mercies on the other side. Look at verse number 10 again. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Now, we've been seeing this in our Sunday evening studies recently in the life of David in Psalm 63, where David recognizes that the steadfast and unchanging love of God is so good that it is far better than life itself. David says, Psalm 63, verse 3, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. 
And then he says in verse 7, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. You realize that at that time, Paul's running for his life. And he can say, In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. That was David. David's lips moved to praise God, to lift those Praises up to God, even in the midst of a trial when he was running for his life. David's lips moved to praise God as he understood the goodness and sheltering care of God. And oh, how we need to realize that God cares for us and he shelters us. And his, and his joy is in us enjoying his care. His joy and his enjoyment is to see us enjoy his love for us and enjoy his Real and tender mercies, His mercies that are real and sure. And in verse 11, here in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul reminds the church that they are to help them by praying together. And why are they to pray as a church for Paul and those ministering with him? Well, Paul says, so that many will give thanks for the blessing granted us through the the prayers of many. Look at verse 11 again. To the church, he says, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Hope number five, God works through the prayers of His people. There's real hope in that because we're not just talking when we pray. When we pray in line with God's will, understanding what God's Word says, and we pray in line with God's will, and we take great hope and encouragement and comfort from God's promises. Not only does that defeat fear, but God works through the prayers of His people. God chooses to do work through the prayers of His people. God moves through the faithful prayers of His people. James chapter 5 Verse 16 is a powerful reminder to the church that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Don't ever forget that the prayers of righteous people are powerful. And God chooses to work through the prayers of His people. And Paul knows this. And Paul knows too that God has more for them to do. So what does he do? He calls on the church to do what? Pray. Paul says to the church, you can help us by praying. Paul knows that he needs help. Paul knows that God moves through the prayers of his people. So Paul calls on the church to pray. That's why we have taken a couple of Sundays here in September, and we've given a day to this yesterday, to praying together as a church, to call on the church to pray. Not just one day, but to light a fire right? that won't go out, that we will be a church of prayer. And what does Paul point to as the result of their praying and the blessings granted to them through the prayers of many? Note how Paul points to God's care for them as an occasion for praise. Look at it in verse 11. So that many will give thanks. He doesn't say pray so that many will have what they want. He doesn't say, pray pray so that our affliction will be lighter. Right? He doesn't say, pray so, so that this, these bad things won't keep happening to us. 
Paul says that the purpose of their praying here is really twofold. First of all, you can help us, so pray. The purpose of your praying is so that we get help from God because God God chooses to work through the prayers of His righteous people. And so he says, you can help us, number one. And number two, God will be praised. Pray for us, says Paul, because you can help us by praying. And God works through the prayers of His people. And secondly, God will be praised. And when people see the blessings granted because of your prayers, God gets the glory and God will be praised. We talked about this in our Sunday school time this morning, talking about humility in prayer. And you know, we can pray without humility. And God does not honor those kinds of prayers. If we come before Him for selfish reasons... But God answers the prayers of righteous people who come before Him in humility and pray for God's glory to be seen in the answers to our prayers. And yes, that is a message for us today. So let's understand that that God intends to work through us. You get that? God intends to work through us. He wants to work through us. He intends to work through us. He has great things to accomplish because He has us here. And God intends to work through this church, but He will not do it unless we pray. He will not work through us unless we submit ourselves to prayer and humble ourselves and be righteous before God and be a righteous people that prays, humbling themselves before God under His mighty hand, under His gentle wing. Of provision. So let's understand that God intends to work through us. And God intends to, to work through this church, through our faithful praying. That is why we dedicated a 12-hour period of time to praying yesterday. And that is why I gave a message last week to remind you of the fear-defeating hope that we have as we pray based on the promises of God. That is why I've given you a message today to remind you of the great hope that there is when we trust in God. And that is why I have emphasized the importance of coming together in united prayer for this church and for the work that God desires to do as we preach the Word and live the Word. And our praying together should not be limited to the time that we set aside yesterday And it should not be limited to the time that we've given today to pray for this church and our sister churches and in the fellowship of the MARBC. But my hope for us is that we will be freshly challenged and freshly renewed in our vigor for assembling as God's church for the purpose of prayer. So I challenge you and I encourage you to do what you can to join together with the body of Christ for prayer. We have this special time that we set aside every Wednesday that we come together for prayer. I challenge and encourage you to join us as we come together and we share requests and we take those burdens and requests and we pray for things in the midst of our own fellowship and we pray for things that are in other churches that we know of that need prayers and we pray for situations around the world because the prayers of righteous people are powerful while they're being prayed. And we gather for the purpose of praying for God's will to be done in and through us as well. And we gather for the purpose of praising God. We call our Wednesday time a praise and prayer service because we praise God for the answers to prayer. The fact that He is good to hear us 
is, is a great reason for praise. And then the fact that He is blessing us with the perfect and perfectly timed answers to our prayers because they're His. You know, His answers and His timing, perfect. Not always our timing. And so we praise Him for that and how vital it is that we gather for prayer as we trust in God. And when we come together and we pray as a church, we are recognizing our complete dependence on God. Don't ever forget that when you go and pray to God, you are supposed to be understanding that you depend on God. He doesn't depend on you. He chooses to work through our prayers, but He doesn't depend on us. We depend on Him. And we are casting before God all our human weaknesses, all our human inability to accomplish all the things that we think should be done through this church and in our lives, we're casting those before Him to do with them as He wishes for His glory, to use us in a way that brings great glory to Himself. And so we're casting before God all those human weaknesses and inabilities to accomplish His purposes for us as a church in our own wisdom and in our own strength. And we need the mighty and prevailing hand of God to do His work in our midst. And He has chosen to work through our praying. So on Him, we have set our hope. Right? On Him, we have set our hope. Let's bow our heads together. Father in Heaven, we do praise You And thank You and worship You because we can set our hope on You. Yes, at times we experience heartache and affliction and trial and difficulty, but oh God, help us to see them in the light that You intend them, that You you intend for us to depend upon You and You intend for us to get our eyes off of ourselves and on You and on the hope that we ought to have in You and on, on the promises in Your Word. And Lord, You do deliver us Often You deliver us and and we remain for Your purposes. Lord, help us. As we even pray this morning, help us to be desirous of being right in the center of Your will for us, right in the center of Your purpose for us. And we know as long as You leave us here, your, Your intent is for us to live in obedience to Your Word so that God's glory can be seen through our lives and through the ministry of this church so that lives would be changed, so that souls would be saved, so that people would see the truth and hear the truth and believe the truth of Jesus Christ, that they might see those things lived out through us, so that God might be glorified. So Lord, we come together and we thank You and we praise You that we can set our hope on You. Lord, help us to to rest assured knowing that, that You love us deeply, you know about every detail of our lives. You know every challenge. You know every, you know every challenge before they even come to us in the week ahead. You know what we're going to face. Lord, help us to depend upon You. Help us to give those occasions for fear. Help us to give those to You and to rest with hope with the promises that You've given us defeating that fear. And help us to rely upon You and pray. And then, Lord, help us to gather as a church faithfully. Help us to not neglect this this wonderful privilege of prayer. And God, help us to see again and again that You choose to, to work through the prayers of Your faithful people. Help us to be those faithful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.